0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Thank you, David. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in these wonderful, wonderful songs. As we've been talking about the matter of sanctification, because that's where the Apostle Paul has led us to at this point. In our study of the book of Philippians, all of the songs that we've been singing this morning fit right into the idea of living the Christ life. All of these hymns that we sing talk about not only the greatness, uh, the, the infinite love, grace, mercy of God. But they also talk about our want and our need and our desire to draw closer to the Lord. Our, our failures, our weaknesses, but His grace and His mercy. Recognizing that we haven't arrived yet at the point of glorification and never will in this life. We will continue to battle with sin. We will continue to struggle with the flesh. We will continue to be tempted by Satan and by his ministers. And we will continue to face frustration and heartache and sorrow and sadness and anger and all of those other kinds of things that are a part of this sinful life, this sinful world that we live in. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, who gives us all that is necessary through His Holy Spirit to rise above those things and to honor Him in our life, in our words as we speak, in our actions, as we are engaging in the lives of other individuals, in our worship, in our church, in our home, in our communities. So I want us to turn once again to the book of Philippians, because we're going to get down to some nitty-gritty with regard to this matter of sanctification, and I would like for you to stand again, if you will, please, in honor of God's Word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is the word of God. We ask his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. Now, two Sundays ago, we introduced this text and the instructions That Paul gave us on the sanctified life. And again, let's not get uptight about words, Um, regeneration, sanctification, justification, glorification. I know there are a lot of $25 theological terms that we have a tendency of throwing around and you may not necessarily understand them but we try to explain them as we go along sanctification simply means to live the Christ life it is to live the life that Jesus lived and again we're not talking about physical stuff we're not talking about wearing sandals and putting on a toga and 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 wearing your hair long and and growing a beard especially for you women uh, those are not the things that we're talking about when Scripture says that we're to be like Jesus, or we say that we're to be like Jesus. We're talking about attitudes. We're talking about conduct. We're talking about lifestyle. We're talking, and we mentioned this last Sunday, and we'll mention it again this morning, we're talking about all that God has blessed us with internally through the salvation that He has placed in our lives, and for the rest of our lives, we are fleshing that out. We're taking the hidden treasures of salvation, and we're bringing them to light. We're taking all that God has, uh, has revealed to us in, uh, uh, in His great salvation, and we're making it known to others. That's what Jesus did. When He came to us, He went about ministering to people, yes... But in his ministry of healing and uh, his ministry of of teaching and all those other kinds of things, feeding individuals, so on and so forth, he was about the business of revealing the kingdom of God to their understanding. Now, these were Jewish people. And uh, they were steeped in the traditions of the Jewish life and the Jewish theology the Jewish uh, cultus if you will they had priests and they had high priests and they had other individuals that were uh, tasked with instructing them on the kingdom of god and because jesus came to reveal the kingdom of god to the masses it tells us that the priests did a pretty bad job in revealing the kingdom of god to god's people Jesus made it very simple. He made it very clear. He made it very plain that God's kingdom in Him had been brought to them. And if they would simply acknowledge Him and accept Him as God's Messiah, that kingdom would come to them in its fullness. But instead... They were more concerned about their own agendas. They were more concerned about the world. They were more concerned about what Rome would say. They were more concerned about the priest, what the priests would think, that they rejected Jesus and the kingdom did not come to them. So, this idea of sanctification is to be Christ-like in conversation, in conduct, in lifestyle. Last Sunday, we previewed the two main aspects of the sanctified life. You have in chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the first aspect, our responsibility. And the second aspect is in verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good purpose. So we understand that in living the Christ life, you are responsible, I am responsible for working out this salvation that God has given to me in Jesus Christ, but it's also God working in me. To keep the fire hot, to keep the desire in my heart burning so that I will live out the Christ life. And he gives us, as we've also stated, the impetus. He give us, he's given us the Holy Spirit, the power that will enable us to do exactly that, to live for Christ who died and rose again for us. Today we're going to focus our attention on verse 12, a little bit more in detail. And verse 12 outlines our responsibility in living the sanctified life. Our responsibility in living the sanctified life. Now, I hope you know by now, I mean, we've been with you for a long time now, but I hope you've understood through our ministry and our preaching and our teaching here in this church that you and I are not saved to sit in a pew sanctimoniously and to sour in our spirit until God decides to take us home. We are not saved for that purpose. And we're not saved to go to heaven. Again, that's the fringe benefit. That is the reward for our salvation. We are to press toward a specific goal that God has established for us. And you find that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. You don't need to turn there, but simply note it again. For whom he, that is speaking of God, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to continue the days, the weeks, the months, and the years that you remain here as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, being conformed, in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Sumorphous is the word, sumorphous. And it means to be gradually changed. It's not an overnight process. It's not a sprint to the finish line. It's a marathon. It is the gradual change that takes place in a Christian that results in his or her likeness to Jesus. Our being conformed to Jesus Christ will be perfected when we are glorified. We're not, it's not going to be perfected here in this life. We still contend with the flesh. We still contend with the world, uh, with a culture, with a society, wherein Satan is the Lord of that world, that culture, and that society. And you don't have to look very long or very hard to realize how true that is. Satan seems to be dominating the world scene. But we are not going to be glorified in this life. It will be it will take place when we leave this life and stand before Jesus Christ our Lord, perfectly sinless. Hallelujah for that. Amen. Perfectly sinless, perfectly righteous, perfectly whole, as God created us to be. That can't happen here. That can only happen when we are standing in the presence of our Lord in glory. Now, the process, the process in which our being conformed to the image of Christ is our sanctification. And again, it is a process. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 12 through 14, but this man, speaking of Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and we emphasize that forever, because it will never happen again. He died once for all. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, then you can put your name in that verse because you are one of the ones that's being sanctified. We're sanctified. We're being sanctified. And that simply means to be set apart. To be set apart from the world and to be set apart unto God that we might become holy in character that we might become righteous in conduct so that God's perfect will and purpose will be fulfilled in us and through us the foundation upon which our sanctification is built is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 the apostle paul wrote therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ktesis is the word. Ktesis, And it simply means to be created, to become a new creature, to become a new being. J.J. Leas writes, quote, "...whoever is united to Christ by faith possesses in himself the gift of a divine, regenerated spiritual humanity which Christ gives through His Spirit, this life which He possessed not before, is in fact a new creation of the whole man. The new creation of the whole man. God wants you to be whole. He wants you to be complete. He wants you to Fulfilled the design for which He has created you. Sin messed that all up. But the only way that that can be restored in us is through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. When you receive Him as your Lord and Savior, that wholeness is restored in you and your sanctification is the process of working that out. Making it applicable in your life, in your home, in your business, amongst your friends. Until the time when the Lord calls you to be home. Once saved. Once you are saved, that's when the sanctification process begins. That's when the sanctification process begins. The new nature given to the Christian immediately begins to contend with, and you know this if you're a Christian, that new nature that Christ has given you immediately begins to contend with the flesh, the sinful flesh, with sin in the world, with Satan, with a godless world, a godless culture. That struggle begins. You trying to live... A holy life, you trying to live a righteous life with Satan hitting you again and again and again, doing all that he can to trip you up, to back you into a corner, to shut you up, so that you'll not share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll not live the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the days of your life. Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians 5:17 The old things the old sinful life has passed away Behold all things the present the future life has become new Life becomes new because we have become new And we have become new because he has given us a new nature We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. It doesn't mean that Christians don't sin from time to time. What it does mean is that Christians will not live in continual, habitual sin as a lifestyle. We begin to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We begin to bring to light to produce, to demonstrate the holy and righteous character of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to us the moment we were saved. Now, all of that is introductory material. All of that is groundwork. All of that is just laying uh, the whole process out in front of you. We're going to look at the how do I do that question How do I live the Christ life? How do I live this sanctified life? How do I live my life separated from the world and separated unto God? How do I keep my life in check so that I will not allow Satan to get to me when he tempts me? I will not allow the world to cause me to compromise in my faith and in my service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul states five principles that help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let me give them to you, all five of them, and then we'll take a look at each one of them individually. First of all, remember the pattern that's been set by Jesus Christ. Remember the pattern that's been set by Jesus Christ. Second, honor the love of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Honor the love of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Third, obey the word and the will of the Lord in your own heart. Obey the word and the will of the Lord in your own heart. Number four, be responsible for the salvation Jesus Christ has given you. And number five, appreciate the capability of personal sin. Appreciate the capability of personal sin. All right. Now. I want to unpack these one at a time. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I could spend a week on each one of them. You know that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, get, I'm going to lay the spiritual salt block in front of you that will whet your appetite and your thirst. And prayerfully, you'll dig deeper in the Word of God and see the various aspects, the various dynamics of each and every one of these principles. First of all, remember the pattern set by Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul begins verse twelve by saying, therefore maybe in your version of the Bible, so now based upon what he said in verses five through eleven, which is the so called Kenosis passage, verses five through eleven, based upon that, the Apostle Paul draws a conclusion. He draws a conclusion. But his conclusion is not a summary statement. These two verses, 12 and 13, do not summarize verbally what the sanctified life is all about. What he does do is he draws a conclusion by stating the application of these various principles in a person's life. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. Knowledge without application is useless. Knowledge with application is useless. I know that Dr. John and Miss Carol, because I went to school with both of them, we had shared same classes together, some of the same teachers together, and though they would not verbally agree with me on this. I know it to be true. We've studied under some people that were intellectual idiots. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, John. What do I mean by that? We've studied under individuals, professors, whose theology was up in the stratosphere. I mean, so high that none of us could ever comprehend what they were talking about and it was very challenging to try to understand some of these guys and you know write it down and then years later we're still going over our notes wondering what in the world was he talking about but one of the problems i the pro, one of the problems that i had was not so much that these people were smart i expected them to be smart one of the problems that i had with some of them was they never put into practice what it was they taught They never put into practice what it was they were teaching. They were intellectual idiots. They had the knowledge. But they didn't press on to the application. Now, some of them did, and some of my most beloved professors, both in college and in seminary, were individuals that I highly respected, highly revered, in my life because they were individuals who not only taught the truth of God's Word, they lived the truth of God's Word. And what is important to stress to you here this morning is, it's not, God's desire for you is not to read through the Bible every year. I know we have a passion for doing that, and I know some of us do that, and then we check off, you know, each day the passage that we read, so that at the end of the year we can say, I've read through the Bible each year. That may be a desire that you have, but it's not the desire that God has. God's desire is for you to understand what you're reading and apply it into your life. Live what you're reading. Live the truth that God reveals to you in His Word. We are to strive for knowledge, but we are to press on to wisdom. Strive for knowledge, but press on to wisdom. We are to learn biblical truth, but we are to apply that truth into our lives, or we are no better off than we were before we ever started reading the Bible. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 Again, gives us the example that Jesus set for our sanctification. The goal that we are to have as Christians are to work toward the pattern that He set before us. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. And in His humanity, He lived a perfectly sinless life. In his character, he was completely holy. In his conduct, he was completely righteous. He did not adapt, nor did he adopt his life to the culture that he lived in. He didn't seek the things of the flesh. He lived a life wholly dedicated to achieving the will of God. And that's what We are to pattern our lives after. Knowing God's will. Pursuing God's will. Second, honor the love of the brothers and sisters in the Lord. Honor the brethren. Now, can I say something that you're not going to take offense at? Well, I don't know. Sometimes, friends, sometimes we will and I, I've had people tell me this. You know, I love you in the Lord. I love you in the Lord. I appreciate the comment, but I understand the motive. I understand the meaning. I love you because God commands me to love you, but if he didn't command me to love you, well, that would be a different story. We're commanded to love one another. Why did Jesus command his disciples to love one another? Why did Jesus command his disciples to love one another? He said, a new commandment I've given to you that you would love one another. Why did he command them to do that? That's a nice theological explanation. Uh, Pardon? Okay. Let's make it simple. He commanded them to love one another because they didn't love one another. like each other they were arguing with each other all the time and there was one particular individual among them that they detested completely poor old Judas Iscariot he wasn't one of them they were all the other disciples were from Galilee he was down from in Judea you know he was a foreigner they didn't like him <laughs> but he commanded listen he commanded them to love one another because they didn't love one another and he commands us to love one another because we find it very difficult to do that. Don't wait. Yes. yes, we do. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Paul said, therefore, my beloved, translated, therefore, my dear friends, my dear friends, what do you think of your church? What do you think? of your leaders in the church. Do you love the leadership? Do you love your teachers? Do you love those who minister to you? Do you love those who serve you? Do you love the ones sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you? The Apostle Paul, listen, the Apostle Paul knew, because he spent time with these folks, he knew their weaknesses, he knew their flaws, He knew the sins of the Philippian Christians. He was aware of their failures. But he loved them. And he didn't just love them in the Lord. He did that, yes, but he truly loved them. He truly loved them. He encouraged them to rise above their present spiritual status and to go on and do the things that he was doing. Look in chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Philippians 3, look at verses 12 through 15. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it this to you. Basically, Paul is saying without love one for another, we can't do this. We cannot together, as a body in Christ, accomplish God's will and God's purposes. We cannot press on to the mark of a high calling in Christ Jesus without each other. We think we can, but we can't. Jesus Christ put you here in this fellowship for a purpose. And that purpose was not to occupy a space. That purpose was that through the very gifts that He gave you through His Holy Spirit, you would reach out and begin to minister to other people. And they would minister to you. Just like your human body is put together, it would be very difficult for you To accomplish perfectly what you should accomplish as a human being if you lost an arm. If you lost a leg. And we may not think that that would be any big deal, but it is a big deal. I think I've told you before that my father, in World War II, when his plane was shot down over enemy territory, a sniper, as he was parachuting down, sniper shot him. Shot him through the foot, blew his big toe off. And in the prison war camp, he was there for six to nine months, and uh, they didn't do it. they didn't attend to his wound at all. And when my father was released, for the rest of his life, he limped. For the rest of his life, he was unsteady uh, on. <laughs> on anything that wasn't solid concrete or asphalt. Because that big toe helped to balance that foot. And that foot helped to balance that leg, which helped to balance his body. With that big toe gone, he was unsteady when he was on that foot. You wouldn't think a big toe would have that big of an impact on a person. But it does. Together, we are to work In love for each other and for the Lord to accomplish His will and His purpose. Paul was in jail when he wrote this book. But he longed to be with them because he loved them. Chapter 1 verse 8. Twice he called them his beloved. He said that they were his joy and his crown. Chapter 4 and verse 1. But again, the Philippians could not press on. To sanctification without loving one another in the Lord. Third, obey the word and the will of the Lord in your own heart. Obey the word and the will of the Lord in your own heart. Notice what Paul says here again in verse 12, chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, parenthesis, But also, when you're not in my presence and I'm not in your presence. Let me ask a question What's the character of your spiritual walk with Jesus when you're away from church? What's the character of your spiritual walk with Jesus when you're away from fellow Christians? When you're alone? When you're by yourself? Do you actively pursue holiness and righteous conduct when you're alone at home? When you're alone out on the road? Paul said, You've always obeyed, not only as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, it's easy enough to be a Christian when you're around Christians. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21, the Apostle Paul rebuked the Apostle Peter in Antioch for first associating with Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians together in the common meal. But when the Apostle James up in Jerusalem sent a contingency of Christians, Jewish Christians down from Jerusalem over into Antioch, a funny thing began to happen. The Apostle Peter no longer fellowshipped with gentile christians. And the apostle Paul noted that. And because the gentile christians became offended, the apostle Paul rebuked Peter for his conduct, for his hypocrisy. Are you a christian when you're with non-christians? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17, the apostle writes, see then that you walk circumspectly. There's another big theological term. Let me explain circumspectly for you. Let's say you're walking across a split rail fence. You're walking down a split rail fence. And you're blind in one eye, and you have a limp in one leg, and you have a mean bulldog on both sides of the fence, you will walk circumspectly. It means to be very, very careful in placing your steps, very, very careful. Very diligent in how you walk. Be circumspect. Not as fools, the worldly and the sinner, but as wise, redeeming the time. You ever have a problem with that phrase, redeeming the time? What the Apostle Paul means in that phrase is, stop wasting time. Use the time that you've been given to the maximum effect. Redeeming the time doesn't mean to buy back the time because you can't buy back time. Once you've lived a day, you can't have that day back again. But it does mean stop wasting your time and continue to use what time God has given you for the maximum effect. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand. And that word understand means to not only know, but to do. To know and to do what the will of the Lord is. As Christians, we must be consistent. We must be consistent. There is no such thing in the Christian life, in the Christ life, for on again and off again, for bad days and for good days. Jesus had bad days. But he didn't stop living the Holy the righteous, the sanctified life. He didn't take a day off from being who he was. And we are not to take a day off from being who we are in Christ Jesus. Fourth, be responsible for the salvation Jesus Christ has given you. Work out, he says, work out your own salvation. Not that you own it. Salvation is not really yours. It is his But Jesus Christ has invested his salvation in you. It is an investment of God in your life. You remember the parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. The parable of the talents where the master of the household called three of his stewards together and he gave to one steward a certain amount uh, of money and he gave to another uh, steward uh, a certain amount of money and he gave to the third one a certain amount of money and then he left and went on uh, for a while to a distant country on vacation or whatever. And when he came back, the stewards were brought before him The master was pleased with the two stewards who took what he gave them and invested it. They used it to honor their master by increasing his investment. But the one steward who was afraid, the one steward who failed in his stewardship, took what the master gave him and buried it in the ground. Thinking, well, at least I can give him what he gave me. Not thinking that the master would have a problem with that but the master was very angry at the one steward who did nothing with the talent given to him by the master Dr. Kate my Old Testament professor at seminary had a placard on his door and that placard read your life is God's gift to you What you make of it is your gift to God. God has given you life. How you invest that precious gift of life is your gift to Him. The Apostle Paul was emphatic. And he commanded the Philippian Christians to take what the Lord had invested in them. Justification, which is sinlessness. Sanctification, which is holiness and being set apart from the world. Righteousness, which is moral correctness. Take what God has given you, has blessed you, and bring these characteristics out to light through your conduct and your conversation. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it means to work out Your salvation with fear and trembling. Let the inherent characteristics of godliness and holiness given to you by Jesus Christ when he saved you, let that come out and let people see that and bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Fifth and finally, appreciate the capability of personal sin. Appreciate the capability of personal sin. Notice what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Understand the consequences when you do not live the sanctified life. When we disregard the standard and the pattern of life that we are to live as set by Jesus Christ. When we reject the love of brothers and sisters in the Lord as being important to our Christian life and our spiritual growth. When we do not take the responsibility to spiritually discipline ourselves privately as we would have people to believe that we do publicly and When we will not live the Christ life before Christians and non-Christians alike. What are the consequences? The Apostle Paul says that we are to live the Christ life with fear, phobos. From which we get our English word phobia. And that word means fright or terror. Any of you have any phobias here? If you do, you know what the word means. It means whatever it is that you're afraid of, when you're confronted by that or with that, it scares you. I used to have a fear of heights. I don't much anymore. Acrophobia. I remember when we took our grandsons and went down to Carlsbad Caverns. Never been to Carlsbad Caverns. Don't really want to go back. But we went down into the cave and we were on this very narrow path that went down into the depths of the cavern. And there was a metal railing out there along the edge, but I tell you, I couldn't get close enough to the wall behind me to make it down. And when I got to the bottom, Nancy said I was just shaking and shaking and shaking. And I know my clothes were just absolutely soaking wet with sweat. It scared me so much because that hole was deep. And that path was narrow. And I was frightened to death. It was dark going down in there as well. I know what it's like to have phobias. Jesus, uh, Paul said that we are to work out the Christ life with... Phobos, fright and terror at the consequences if we don't. The word trembling is traumas, from which we get the English word tremors, shaking. Paul is not saying that we should live the sanctified life terrified that God will crush us like a bug if we step out of line or if we disobey Him. No, that's not the point that he's trying to make here. What he's saying here is that we're to live the Christ life aware of our weaknesses and our predisposition to sin. And we should not give in to it. We should not yield to it. We need to be aware of the power of sin and of Satan and of the world to tempt us, to test us, and to turn us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a very real warning a very real warning on the other hand and I'll close with this on the other hand he is also saying that we must have a profound reverence and awe for the one who has saved us by his sacrificial life Amen. that we are saved by his wondrous and infinite love and grace and mercy. Now here's the key that I have found. When I focus my full attention on Christ, on His salvation, on His grace, on His mercy, on His great love, it's not a difficult thing for me to live the Christ life. I'm not saying I don't have problems. I'm not saying that I don't have issues. I'm not saying that I don't face temptations and trials. I do. But when I focus more on what will happen to me if I don't, I find myself stubbing my spiritual toe all the time. Paul is saying we need to appreciate the great wonder, the awesomeness of Jesus Christ and his power to save us, his grace and his mercy toward us. And when we focus our attention upon him and upon the great salvation that he's given us, we'll have less and less an issue with the sins that so easily beset us. So, These five things the Apostle would have us to understand. Follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Appreciate the love of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Bring to light the characteristics of the Christ life. Live them out. Take responsibility for the salvation that He's given you and appreciate the fact that you are still subject to sinful flesh and that Satan is out to get you if you let him. Can we do that? Yes, we can. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen? Stand with me. David, come and lead us in a song. And we can develop that attitude of loving one another if we just simply start with this attitude right here. I'm so glad I'm a part. good to have dr john borer with us john come up here if you will please and lead us in our benediction and as you do so will you also pray god's blessings upon our fellowship let's pray our father it is so good that you've given us a family like this yes a family where we can serve and share and even sometimes we fight but Lord, we know that you are there with us and you're there to guide us. You're there to enlighten us. You're there to show us when we need to improve. Yes. But also, Lord, we just praise you because you're always there. Yes. And we thank you, Lord, for the way that we can serve and work and share together. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for the fellowship here, this body of Christ, this family. And now, Lord, as they go to fellowship even more as good Baptists do around the table, we thank you, Lord, for the food that is provided. And Lord, we just thank you for the marvelous way that you show your love to us every day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 We're dismissed to go to the Fellowship Hall. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.